registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. So today's episode is going to be all about H. pylori. H. pylori is a bacteria that can overgrow in the gut and it can cause significant GI issues. And only about 20% of those who are infected with it have symptoms. So we're going to talk about the symptoms of H. pylori. We're going to talk about why it's harmful, how it can cause low stomach acid, which is a major problem in terms of digestion and absorption of nutrients. We're going to talk about how you treat H. pylori and why antibiotics might not work for some people and how they can approach killing off this bacteria. And we're also going to talk about foods that can help to kill H. pylori, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk about things like broccoli sprouts. You've probably heard those come up a few times on my episodes so far. And then we're also going to talk about prevention. So how can you prevent this from happening? I have uh, gotten the question on Instagram recently of, you know, should you treat other people in the household? Which when you learn how, how you get H. pylori, you'll learn that everyone in the household, if they're, you know, swapping saliva, should be getting treated for H. pylori because it is easily transmissible. Okay, so what is... H. pylori, it's a bacteria. It can cause ulcers by attacking the stomach lining, and it can cause uh, gastritis, which is inflammation of the gastrin lining. Now, like many of the infections uh, that we see in the gut, it is very common, but a lot of people do not even know that they've been infected. Interestingly, too, in a study that compared H. pylori infection rates among groups of autoimmune and thyroid patients, which is a a clientele that I work a lot with, 86% of autoimmune thyroid patients tested positive for H. pylori. So we also see this significant crossover between this overgrowth in the gut and autoimmune disease. This is also one of the major reasons why I see low stomach acid in my practice. H. pylori can cause low stomach acid because of its impact that it has on the gastrin lining. So it's it's a really, you know, big deal. And when we test and treat properly, it can um, it can resolve a lot of health issues that have either, you know, acutely been going on or, or even chronically. So what are the symptoms of H. pylori? This can get challenging because a lot of the symptoms overlap to other symptoms of other symptoms of certain conditions like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or you know I, I ate pizza yesterday that had a, a lot of ingredients that did agree with me but 
some of the more the more hallmark signs of H. pylori are having a burning sensation in the GI tract, having stomach pain, uh, bloody vomit. That would be a, a very serious, obvious sign of H. pylori. Um, having blood in the stool, this is also possible. Typically, this will present a darker tarry stool. So this will be a little helpful tip for anyone. If you have any bleeding in the GI tract, if it is in the lower part of the GI tract, you're going to see it probably floating in the toilet, and it's probably going to be bright red because it's fresh. It's fresh blood. Now, if you have bleeding in the upper part of the GI tract, it's going to be dark. So when I say dark, tarry stools, it's not going to look like bright red, fresh blood. It's been sitting there for a while, so your stool will look dark and tarry. And that's typically a more serious issue when the, when the stools are that dark. So that's a good thing to watch out for and something that you always want to go talk to a doctor for um, if you're seeing dark, tarry stools, especially frequently. Nausea, vomiting, heartburn, fatigue, bad breath, if we look at a blood test, we might see low blood cell count because you're losing some blood due to the inflammation and the bleeding that's taking place in the GI tract, uh, decrease or loss of appetite, and peptic ulcers. Now, in terms of low stomach acid, so to adapt to the low pH of the stomach, H. pylori can produce um, urease, which neutralizes the acid. So if concentrations of H. pylori are high enough, this can really lower the stomach acid, which is what we call hypochloridria. Now, this can affect lower esophageal sphincter dysfunction. It can impact how you're absorbing nutrients. It can impact the other bacteria in the gut. So when I do a stool test in my practice and you have H. pylori, you're going to look at the normal healthy bacteria and you're probably going to see some dysbiosis, some imbalance in those good and, and not so great bacteria. And then I mentioned nutrient malabsorption as well. So iron and B12, things that we need for optimal health and in so many different aspects. So monitoring these symptoms, um, you know, long-term autoimmune disease would be something that, that could be related. Some of the findings that I also look for on the stool test would be uh, low elastase. So this is kind of showing us, okay, how is your pancreas working in terms of digestion, um, but there's, there's a, a lot more to the stool analysis. So for diagnosis, in order to diagnose H. pylori, your doctor will have you take a breath test, a stool test, or a blood test. In my practice, I only use the stool test, and I use a PCR, which is a DNA stool analysis, which is highly sensitive, so it's basically testing the DNA of H. pylori. And I interpret it on my own. I don't let the test that I'm using interpret it for me. But those are the three tests, breath, stool, and blood test. And how do we treat H. pylori? So there are numerous antibiotic-based therapies that are available. However, these therapies have several inherent problems, one of the major ones being resistance to the antibiotics that are used to treat H. pylori. So you take an antibiotic to treat H. pylori, but you're resistant to it, so you're not finding resolve. I've gotten tons of messages on Instagram of people saying, 
I tried this antibiotic, but I still have H. pylori. My symptoms are not gone. And oftentimes this is probably due to antibiotic resistance. And the risk, uh, the cost of this antibiotic therapy is, you know, you taking an antibiotic to begin with, but also the financial cost can be a big burden for some people. The treatment will often include the antibiotic therapies, and it will probably also be accompanied maybe by a proton pump inhibitor, uh, maybe a few different types of antibiotics, so maybe amoxicillin, claromycin, um, to kind of have more of a, a successful eradication of the bacteria. And it looks like there's also some new drug combinations that are being developed currently. So we have some really useful conventional medicine tools in our pocket to treat this, which is great. But unfortunately, they don't always work. And that's when we kind of look to more of the natural herbal remedies for H. pylori, which is what I use in my practice. So what about the research? There are hundreds of scientific publications worldwide that describe the antibiotic activity of herbal products against H. pylori. If you do a search plant anti-H. pylori in the PubMed database from 1991 to August in 2013, there's over 300 entries. And this includes plant extracts, plant compounds, and plant products, which we'll kind of go into here. So garlic is one of them. Garlic is widely used for antimicrobial benefits. We're talking about the supplement, but also just eating garlic on a regular basis, especially in its raw form. A little tip for you is if you chop it up and you let it sit for about 10 minutes before adding it to heat or any sort of recipe, you'll actually enhance the benefits of the garlic due to enzymatic activity that happens. So that's a little little tip for you. Let your garlic sit after chopping it and chop it very well, mince it up. Broccoli sprouts are incredibly amazing, not because of H. pylori, but also for cancer protection. And we've seen the ability of broccoli sprouts to enhance the activity of sulforaphane in the body to you know, upregulate certain processes that help detoxification and improve brain health and, and all types of things. So broccoli sprouts are amazing. I've talked about them on my Instagram about how I grow my own at home, but broccoli sprout treatment doesn't eradicate. So it doesn't get rid of H. pylori completely. The research study that I'm referring to They used broccoli sprouts in patients who had H. pylori, and it really helped to reduce the amount of H. pylori, but once they stopped using the broccoli sprouts, H. pylori came back. So it's kind of a good way to keep it at bay and manage symptoms, um, but it's not going to be a treatment for H. pylori. But what it can help with is protecting against gastrointestinal damage, which is commonly caused by NSAIDs, which are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. 
So if you have a history of taking a lot of those, you might benefit from incorporating some broccoli sprouts into your smoothie. I have a recipe for this in my gut healing guide, a green smoothie. You can throw them on a sandwich. You could throw them in a wrap, in a smoothie. Um, You could be a savage like myself and just chew them (laughs) because you want to get it over with and know they're good for you. So don't really care that they have a little bit of a little bit of a bite to them. Green tea. So green tea uh, contains lots of antioxidants, and it's been shown to have antibacterial activity against H. pylori, both in vitro and in vivo. So green tea can be a really great antibacterial agent against H. pylori. Red wine. Oh, boy. Everyone's like, I'm going to start drinking more red wine. No. Resveratrol is really the compound, and I don't, I don't ever recommend to my clients to start drinking red wine, especially if they have H. pylori. We're going to, we're going to probably start taking a resveratrol supplement. This is very high in polyphenols. I, I've talked about it in relation to gut microbial diversity. I had um, a doctor on here, and we were talking about COVID and the gut microbiome. Resveratrol is a, is a very potent source of polyphenols, which we know are great for gut health. CBD has also been a treatment that's been looked at in research. They've looked at some NHANES data, some observational studies looking at the prevalence of H. pylori in individuals who were cannabis users, and they found that those who were had lower risk of H. pylori infection. But on a more scientific level, what we know is that CBD can actually reduce inflammation in the stomach. It can also help to reduce gastric acid, which we know is a big issue with H. pylori because H. pylori um, can cause gastric ulcers and it can promote ulcer, gastric ulcer healing. So there's some good research out there to suggest it's a potential, but if you look on YouTube and online, you know, go on Reddit, there's a ton of people who have claimed that CBD oil has really helped with their digestion, but even more specifically with healing H. pylori. And I've had a few clients who had H. pylori who have used my CBD oil and have found some great benefits from using it outside of just your standard sleep, anxiety, things like that. So there's, there's many different mechanisms as to how this could be happening. Honey has also been shown to help treat H. pylori in humans. The degree of inhibition was related to the polyphenols in honey. So the propolis extract from the honey was really the main inhibitor of H. pylori. So that, that propolis is, is very important. Black seed oil. I've seen this um, on Instagram in the past year or so. This is um, a treatment that has been used in medicine for over 2,000 years, but it's especially beneficial for treating H. pylori because it's been shown to be effective against drug-resistant bacteria. So very interesting. Um, they've used it in research by, um, you know, mixing it with warm water, mint tea. They might grind some seeds into the honey. But a research study from 2010 found that giving H. pylori patients two grams of ground black seeds daily 
along with omeprazole, which is an acid blocker, was more effective at treating H. pylori than the standard conventional triple therapy, which was basically an anti-acid blocker plus two different antibiotics. So that's pretty cool because you could avoid having to take those antibiotics and be able to do this in a more natural manner. Um, Doses of the black seed at one or three grams per day were less effective. So the dose matters. In terms of probiotics, specifically bifidobacterium is one of my favorite um, bacterium to use for preventing any sort of gastrointestinal infections. And this isn't necessarily just from a supplement perspective. We can find bifidobacterium in lots of different food items which have been fermented. Several studies have also demonstrated um, additional probiotic strains like lactobacillus acidophilus, lactobacillus casei. Um, so there's a, there's a wide variety of them which have been shown to be antagonists to H. pylori, which is great. Um, the direct role of probiotics is, is really um, being well-documented as an alternative or a complement to antibiotics. So that's, that's exciting that we're seeing this. More research on the impact of probiotics. A 2012 placebo-controlled pilot study in the journal Inflammation and Allergy Drug Targets looked at the effects of probiotics on people with dyspepsia who tested positive for H. pylori. So they had these symptoms of reflux. Um, They found that following treatment with an eight-strain probiotic supplement 13 of the 40 patients had complete eradication of the H. pylori. That's pretty darn cool. So a broad-spectrum probiotic supplement was able to completely eradicate H. pylori in 13 out of the 40 patients. It just makes me very upset when I hear patients come to me and say, well, my doctor told me not to take probiotics because there's not any research on them. We have tons of research on probiotics for so many different things, for SIBO, for H. pylori, for diarrhea, you name it. I digress. Probiotics can be really helpful, and I will always use them as part of a gut healing phase with my clients. So if we're treating small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, if we're treating H. pylori, candida, dysbiosis... I will often incorporate probiotics during some phase of their gut healing. Now, there are different types of probiotics. There's a Saccharomyces boulardii, which is more resistant, which is something that I'll use in combination with an antimicrobial because that's something that is uh, going to stick around much easier than, say, like a lactobacillus bifido blend when I'm doing a killing phase on an overgrowth. So it's important to get the right kind and at the right time. So timing is very important. Now, a very controversial topic is, do you treat asymptomatic people? So this is my example of a client last week who came to me who did a stool test with another practitioner. Their H. pylori was not even flagged as being high. It was basically maybe borderline high. It was not even in the range where the lab said this is clinically significant. 
and the practitioner wanted to treat that patient for H. pylori by placing them on uh, antimicrobials and also a very high, high dose of mastic gum, which is a great protocol for treating H. pylori. But in a patient who doesn't present with any symptoms, which this client didn't, no symptoms at all of H. pylori, we don't necessarily need to treat those patients, which can be confusing because isn't H. pylori bad? Shouldn't we get rid of it? H. pylori actually might be healthy for some individuals to be present there, but as long as it's not causing symptoms. So it's really important to get the full picture of what's going on with the client. And this is why when you purchase a stool test from me, you can't just get the results and be on your merry way. You have to sit down. I have to walk you through it and give you the science about the whole picture of what's going on. And I need to learn about you, your symptoms, your lifestyle, your diet. It's not as simple as this is high, let's kill it. This is low, let's add it. Unfortunately, that is not the way that the gut microbiome works. It's a very complex ecosystem. So a high percentage of H. pylori infected people don't have symptoms, but they're still at risk for developing certain pathologies associated with H. pylori. But Research shows that it is, there's not a reason to eradicate H. pylori in asymptomatic patients, and it is, in fact, not recommended. Now, what I would suggest is consuming you know, the foods that we mentioned above to help maintain low bacterial levels, controlling inflammation, modulating the immune response, if someone is, you know, having a poor diet or poor lifestyle factors, managing those things, but I do not recommend treating H. pylori, especially if it's not even within the flagged clinically significant range as like a preventative measure. That's just not recommended. So what are some of the ways that you can prevent yourself from developing this H. pylori overgrowth or contracting H. pylori, essentially? Safe drinking water is one of them, which may sound simple or silly for someone living in a developed country where we are. Thankfully, we have a much easier time finding clean drinking water, Um, but it's very important for everyone, whether you're young, old, to drink clean, safe water from a safe source. This is one of the main ways that you can contract H. pylori is from contaminated water. And remember this, especially if you're traveling abroad. Practice good hygiene. We're in the middle of a pandemic, so I would imagine that most people are probably washing their hands maybe a little bit more than they typically were. And I'm not talking, you know, sanitize your entire life because, you know, there's a whole host of issues that could come from doing that. But wash your hands before you eat and after you go to the bathroom, because that is another way that you can spread this from person to person. You can also, if you have a family member who gets H. pylori, then it is easy for them to share it with you through saliva or having any other type of intimate uh, relations. So it's important that if someone in your household has H. pylori, you might want to get tested too. Or if you're presenting with symptoms, you might go ahead and just get treated for it. And the last tip is to eat properly prepared food. So basically, make sure that you cook your items thoroughly, wash your produce, 
because H. pylori bacteria can contaminate the food that we are eating. So some of the herbals that I use in my practice, the herbals, the antimicrobials, they include things like mastic gum, up to 1,500 milligrams daily. You heard that right, 1,500 milligrams. I see a lot of practitioners not using high enough doses of mastic gum to kill H. pylori. I really like uh, deglycerized licorice. This one is really uh, great for killing off H. pylori, zinc carnosine, drinking green tea, oil of oregano. Oftentimes I'll use the leaf for maybe a less potent antimicrobial Sometimes we'll use digestive enzymes, um, calcium deglucurate. This might help with recycling of um, estrogen and help to manage your beta-glucuronidase in the gut. And then oftentimes I'm incorporating things like N-acetylcysteine, vitamin C, CoQ10, quercetin. These antioxidants are really beneficial for helping to support the gut and killing off that um, bacteria. It's also important to note that when I treat patients, when we do their stool test, say they come back and their secretory IgA is low. Secretory IgA is a measure of their inflammation and immune function in the gut. So if someone has low secretory IgA, I'm not going to go in there and start killing stuff. You want to build that person up before you start doing that. So the, the gut healing process is not as simple as, oh, you got this, let's just go kill it. So I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I really want to to send that message home with you that there is a process. You have to build up stuff that isn't, you know, there to support the body. Then you treat overgrowth or, you know, bacteria that shouldn't be there. And then you repair, you replenish with those healthy bacteria, the probiotics, things that we know help to prevent reinfection or relapse of these types of things. And of course, diet and lifestyle are always a part of those plans. So I hope this was helpful. And I highly recommend that if you are struggling with digestive issues, especially if they've been going on for a long time and now you have autoimmune disease or your doctor is just not doing further testing, you're not getting answers, you're getting really frustrated, a stool test is invaluable. It is invaluable. And it's so great because you don't have to keep guessing about what your symptoms are. I work with patients who they say, let's wait on the stool test. I don't really want to make the investment. So then we work together for a few months. They feel a little bit better, but we're still not moving the needle. And a lot of the times it's because maybe there was H. pylori or maybe there was small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or what have you, but I'm not going to treat something blindly without having a value. In my opinion, that is malpractice. So if you're interested in working one-on-one with me and you want to get tested for things like H. pylori, bacterial overgrowth, candida, parasites, you name it, you can visit nutritionrewired.com. You don't have to work with me for even three months. You could purchase the stool test and then we could do a 30-minute evaluation where I walk you through the results. But I hope you found today's information to be helpful. Hope you learned something. And if you are enjoying these episodes, then I would really appreciate it if you could subscribe, if you could leave a comment, like, share, download. All of those things really help to boost my engagement and help keep me motivated to continue putting out this free information. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.